Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. Welcome to the standalone series that we're going to be doing about <laughs> beekeeping after Z-Day. <laughs> I thought I'd bring in some friends of mine, you know, uh, good old zombies to spruce it up. We're going to be talking about uh, beekeeping after a time when we can no longer go to the store and purchase the items we want in order to beekeep like we do in our first world country. <laughs> so, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is if you build it, they will come. Um, before we get into this, I'd like to uh, invite you to come visit me at uh, library or at Odyssey. Um, I learned just recently that uh, library is the back area where you do your um, uploading and then Odyssey is the slick new uh, face of what we're doing. So um, it's Odyssey and you can go to lbry colon forward slash forward slash at friends of brother adam no spaces and uh support me there um as i'm doing this both podcast and video cast i am um uploading both to the podcast and to odyssey uh so that i can um start uh bringing some people over to Odyssey. It is such a better platform than uh, some of the earlier platforms, the particular platforms that tend to want to limit free speech. <laughs> so, but I'd like to invite you to come over to Odyssey and check it out. Um, I have a whole bunch of videos that I've included for uh, you to take a look at. Um, we have some videos that we've archived from the web that I'm very sure are being shut off and limited and and ignored. Um, so I'd like you to come over and, and take a look at them. Uh, I've just archived them in order to give you uh, a taste of the um, particular brand of beekeeping that they do. And uh, I'd really like to see you come over and, and visit us there. But if you're stuck on podcasting and or uh, podcasts and you are doing a job and, and listening while you work or, or some other reason that you can't do uh, visual things, I, I welcome you as well. Uh, no plans for me to stop doing the podcasting. It's just with Odyssey, I get... Uh, a few little tiny credits every time somebody views my stuff and it also allows you guys to um, send me donations to help with what I do here. <laughs> anyway, so let's go back to uh, the whole entire uh, after Z day and, and what ends up happening um, with uh, our beekeeping. As I was talking about earlier in, in our earlier podcast, I explained about how we are most definitely heading in a direction that uh, doesn't give itself over to the idea that we're going to have the ability to purchase all this wonderful beekeeping equipment and uh, 
even purchasing bees. So I was going to show you guys um, a little bit about how to do this with minimal tools, do this with finding your own bees, saving yourself money, and processing the honey and uh, packaging it so that you can sell it um, and, or barter or trade for other things that, with your honey <clears throat> and wax because we're going to need candles again. <laughs> Essentially, just picture yourself back in the 18th century is, is what I'm saying. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully we don't get to that point. Hopefully we are um, by some miracle going to be turning this around. And rather than uh, rather than going the bad way, we go the right way. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll leave you to take a look and, and see what you believe about that. But uh, regardless, when you look at things, you it definitely has a downward spiral and a de-civilization spiral. And I'd really like to be able to teach you guys a little bit about how to survive on the other side of this um, as a beekeeper. Um, one of the things as I was researching for today's podcast, um, one, one of the things that I saw was that this is not an entirely new idea. Um, <laughs> we've been beekeeping since literally, well, probably before we did, before we made alcohol, we were beekeeping. <laughs> At the very least, we were um, honey hunting. And so um, it's, it's a very time-honored um, way of making money, of making uh, stuff for trade, or making it for your own home use. Just think about it. If there is a way for you to, after the lights go out, be able to collect some substance and be able to have that substance um, to... Uh, uh, to eat, to add to your other foods, to make a beverage that is very tasty and, and slightly uh, <laughs> slightly alcoholic. Um, just think about all the wonderful things that you could do with the wax and with the propolis and 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 you know even even uh, if times get really tough and, and protein is very small, you can even eat the uh, larva as protein. Bears do it all the time, so it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be useful. So let's uh, let's get into it. Um, today's title is "If you build it, they will come." <laughs> yeah, not original, I know, but <laughs> it's it's where we're going. So uh, we're going to be focusing on today the aspect of building beehives. Um, I'm going to jump into one of these articles here, so please forgive me for my reading. Originally, man was not settled, but he purely hunted for honey. As time went on, he settled down and started settled farming as well, and settled beekeeping. Although the practice of honey hunting still continues until today in most societies, the modern hive 
the home of the honeybees, has resulted from man's century-old thoughts and searches. History knows of a thousand different shapes and forms of hives. The modern apicultural or apiculture has accepted several standard types of hives. However, there are as many different types of hives as there are beekeepers. Vigor, product, um, vigorous productive hives and genetics are always of value to beekeepers. Swarming is a natural instinct to overcome the stress of and maintain genetic fitness in feral colonies, highly adapted to native habitats to utilize as domiciles naturally occurring in cavities, in living trees, rock crevices, ground holes, and other similar spaces. However, in modern beekeeping scenarios, three emerging problems are evident. Domestic honeybee colonies in box hives are subjected to stresses that are rarely encountered in nature. Domestic colonies whose genetic fitness may be reduced are nursed along, often unknowingly, so that undesirable genes may be perpetrated or perpetuated, and housekeeping chores normally caused by emerging pests are added to the responsibilities of the worker bees or remain undone. Beekeeping changed most between 1500 and 1851. Prior to the development of modern hives, bees were kept in traditional hives, which worked remarkably as well as favored abode for wild honeybee. However, the harvested honey, bees were generally asphyxiated. So um, back, in, back in the day, they would, uh, um, for example, take a skep, and for those of you who don't know what a skep is, a skep is um, a slightly oblong basket with a hole in it, usually at the bottom, and a clay plate on the bottom. And that was what a skep was. And what what happened was the bees would go into would be introduced into the skep. The skep would be closed up for several days. The bees would start making their wax, and then um, the plate was um, equipped with, uh, I, I, I guess it would be like a, a drip channel on the bottom, and it went underneath the skep and kind of in a little circle around inside the skep like a coiled uh, snake. But it was a groove in the plate. And beekeepers on the outside would pour nectar sugar nectar or honey from other hives that you've mixed with water and they would drip it in the bottom of this um, little spiral and it would allow the bees to come down drink from it and then go back up and make uh, start making their comb and start laying their eggs and a beekeeper would wait several days until he knew that that introduced hive would have already laid eggs and therefore were bound to this area, this skep. And then he would open up the front and the bees would go out and find their own nectar, go out and find their own pollen. And when it came time to harvest these bees, 
he would take this basket, the beekeeper would take this basket, shake out as many bees as he could shake out, and then walk over, set it over a sulfur fire, and uh, the sulfur would go up into the hive and kill all the bees. And then um, he would take that and uh, go into an area that he was going to be harvesting the honey and the wax, scoop out everything, put the basket back, and then the bees would um, eventually either be reintroduced into that or um, the bees would return and uh, he would, uh, uh, a, a new bee colony would return into this new, or this new emptied out skep and away it would continue. Uh, so, and people in the old days utilized um, skeps, baskets, woven baskets, and they were sometimes mud covered or horse dung and mud covered. And uh, people also used logs called bee gums. People also used um, pots, so overturned pots with a hole in it so that the bees could go in and out. And... Um, people also used logs that were raised up into trees with ropes and with a hole on each end type of thing to let the bees come in and go. Okay, so those are the kind of uh, um, beehives that they had back in the day. Um, and essentially those are the kind of beehives that we're going to return to with a few twists. Because of the stuff that we've discovered about bees, we can utilize the older bee houses with a few twists. <clears throat> so let's let's read a little bit longer and make sure that we we understand how things were going. Um, <clears throat> the number of honeybees in a normal colony vary from about 1400 to 2500 since the development of the movable beehives for apis malfera which are the bees that we usually use now uh, beekeepers use a variety of strategies to increase um, manage populations to approximately 60,000 so at max from 25,000 to 60,000 why this increase? Why would we need an increase? <clears throat> well, we're planning on taking some of their honey and some of their wax. So we need that increase so that they can build it back so that they can survive the winter. These strategies include increasing the available brood nest space or cavity size, Reversing the brood nest, stimulating um, feeding and breeding honeybee stocks for increasing brood production. Until then, hives were removed and squashed by the beekeepers without un understanding the life cycle of the bee or the structure of the hive. The understanding of the life cycle and the ability to harvest honey without disturbing the hive made beekeeping easier. However, for about 200 years, hives could not be managed because it was impossible to observe what was going on inside. The first step towards movable frame hive 
was the use of hives which resembled top bar hives. Hmm. <laughs> These consisted of baskets or boxes with slats or bars across the top, and a sloped container served as the hive. The bees did not attach combs to the sides of the hive, and the beekeeper could remove each frame and examine the brood and combs and stores without bothering the bees. In 1851, Ameri the American Lorenzo Langstroth designed the movable frame hive most commonly used today, which carries his name. Uh, his design has four-sided frames which hang inside the hive box, allowing a 3-8 inch space between frames in the box. So this is a space that you need to know off heart, 3-8 inch. This distance is known as B space and is the width of a path or is the width of a path wide enough for a bee to pass through, but not too wide to be filled with wax or propolis. The hive is made of units or supers that vary in height but with identical outside dimensions so that they may be stacked. This hive design greatly facilitated hive management and beekeeping entered a new era. Okay, so it goes on to blah 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 about uh, Langstroth and all the wonderful stuff that he did. Um, so what he did was he made it so that beekeeping was more observable and made it so that we could learn a little bit more about beekeeping so that we could be more of managers rather than um, landlords and harvesters. <laughs> so um, we don't necessarily uh, need right away as as building the hives in order to have the bees. We don't necessarily need to follow this. Um, and why I say this is because we need to go from essentially zero, uh, use the um, things that we have around us in our natural surrounding and create a beehive. Create a space that bees will want to be in and then be able to create uh, an additional space above that that they will place their honey in that we can harvest and so that we're not disturbing the the beehive that we so <laughs> that we have tried to to have and um have rescued a swarm or whatever we did to to get the bees in there originally we don't want to lose these these bees so um let's talk about some of the things that we can do to um, be able to have a beehive that uh, will protect it from the uh, elements, protect it from uh, bears and, and skunks and, and two-legged predators <laughs> who are looking to uh, um, take your, your profits and, and your beehive away from you. So... Let's jump into that. Uh, like we were saying before, we had um, pots that are made of clay. We had skeps, which are weaved um, material. Um, and, uh, 
like branches, reeds, whatever. We have um, top bar hives. We have bee gums and uh, we have logs that we hang in the trees. There's another one that I mentioned as well. So I guess it really depends on where you start from. Um, it would be good if I could influence you to get a few woodworking tools now while the, the getting is good and cheap and have you hang on to those um, tools as, as <laughs> tightly as possible uh, during the coming problems. Um, but, you know, you might end up starting out with next to nothing. So why don't we just say we have nothing? Let's just say that, you know, we managed to, on the way out the door, grab a tent and uh, grab a few bunches of foods and things that we needed, a pot and pan and whatever else to cook with. But we got out there and essentially we're camping. <laughs> okay, let's, let's put us at that point. We have some of our basic needs covered so you know we've got the camping tent we've got those kind of things but we don't have anything additional to be able to have um, for beehives um, maybe we might have uh, a, a knife with us but not much more okay so the very first thing that the very lowest first thing that you can do is look for natural um, containers from which to start with. So that's where bee gums, uh, bee logs hanging in trees, and um, where um, holes in the ground or holes in the rock face started out. Um, and so um, if we were to find a, a, a small little cave in a rock face that's easily accessible to us, but not so easily accessible to other creatures, and we managed to, with some um, rock and mud, um, bar up the front of this, this cave or make some sort of a wood um, doorway so that you can open it up harvest your honey, close it up, and uh, not bug the queen or, or the rest of the bees, okay? So that would be one way of doing things. Finding a, a, a garbage can-sized cave in the side of a hill, or making a garbage can-sized cave in the side of a hill um, that was structurally sound, that you could use a wooden door and... Uh, a wooden door that you make and, and some rocks and sticks and and mud to cover the entrance so that you have a small little hole and remember the bee size three eighths you want it just slightly bigger than three eighths uh, the the little hole that goes in and the reason why you do that is you want to be able to give them the best chance that they can to guard this um, little bee cave that you're making and uh, so that they can feel like they have um, security and safety within that cave. So that's one thing that you could do. And quite literally, you can end up doing it within 
I don't know, two or three days of, of working with your knife, you can end up with all the mud that you need, you know, all the horse pucky that you can find and mix in with the mud, um, all the sticks and branches you can cut off of trees and stuff. Um, and if you manage to find a, a, a log end that wasn't too thick, you could use that as the door. You know, I mean, just real rudimentary cave idea okay so that's that's the first thing that you could do and and it'll take you like half a day to do second thing you can do is uh, bee gums or bee logs now most of the logs that you find on the forest floor or with trees most of them that you find they are not going to be hollow and that's what you need you need to have a hollow area um, ooh, I'm trying to think of how many liters of area. I, I think it's like 40 to 65 liters of area. So if you were to fill it up with water, you'd have 40 to 65 liters of space in that tree. Okay. But you're not going to be filling it up with water. Uh, just to, just to give you the idea and size. Um, essentially a, a really big backpack is about 40 to 60 liters. Um, so just picture that in your mind about how big you need it. Um, and you'll want to get it so that uh, the uh, uh, circumference, the, the roundness of the log is going to be rather large. So uh, what would be the same size? Well, <laughs> a rather fat man. <laughs> um, just think about uh, a, a portly gentleman with a round tummy size, you know, about that size of a log would be perfect. Um, if you go smaller, that's fine. You just got to remember that uh, in order to get the amount of space, you're going to need to go longer if it's, if it's smaller in circumference. But I ended up doing this one time. Um, I, I wanted to make a bee gum. I wanted to try it out, but I wanted it to have top bars that were the size of um, Langstroth frames. So I made it specifically um, so that it would hold a certain number of Langstroth frames. And when I was choosing my log, I literally would take the frames and set them on top of the log and upside down and say, Mm, yeah, right size. Mm, no, not right. And uh, if I had to take away a, a frame or two just to make the log fit, I, that would I would do that. But what you need to remember with when you're making a bee gum is you need to have a huge amount of insulation around the outside. So you're going to want to have two to three inches of thickness that you're not going to disturb on the outside. Uh, all around the the external area of the outside of the hive. Okay, so however many, <laughs> however many um, um, bars that you're going to have on top, literally make the bars first, go over and set them on the log and figure it out. Um, when you're making the bars, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to find sticks that are about two sizes bigger than your thumb 
So take your thumb, add your second thumb beside it, and that's round about how big the, the um, top bar is going to be. And you're going to, with your knife, whittle it down to the point where you have uh, a flat top, flat sides, and on the bottom you want um, a pyramid, like a, a, a point. Instead of flat, you want it coming down to a point right in the middle of the bar. And the reason is, is this is where the bees are going to attach their wax. And you want your bar to be big enough that it makes the spacing, but the point comes down in the middle of that wide frame. Okay, so that's what you're going to do to make the frames. And it's going to take a while to sit down and whittle these things. So we're talking like a day or two to sit down and okay, go and and hack off the tree <laughs> some they're around about two inch wide um branches and then you're gonna have to shave them off and and set them out to dry um and then once you have that once you have the frames then you can go around and look for your bee gum and you're gonna set all the frames that you're going to be putting inside this bee gum on the log and just keep in mind that, that as you're doing this, um, the number of frames that you have, the more frames you have, the better, uh, up until a certain point. And then after that, you might want to think about getting a second bee gum and putting the excess frames on top, right? So you're going to have two, two bee gums. You're going to have two logs that you set one on top of another. And then uh, um, you're going to paste the outside with uh, um, horse manure and mud so that you cover up any holes that are along the side of the, the bee gum. You're going to want to have one entrance and I would suggest that that one entrance is at the top of the hive or, or fairly close to the top of the hive. So within uh, three inches of the top let's say and uh, you're going to be putting in a fairly small B entrance, probably around about a, um, a little bit bigger than B space. So a little bit bigger than three eighths. Um, I would never put anything larger because the larger hole is going to allow mice to get in and you don't know whether or not your bees are going to be strong enough or want to sacrifice enough bees to sting that mouse dead. And believe it or not, mice will um, make your whole entire hive um, be useless to you. You won't be able to eat any of the honey from it. You won't be able to um, uh, utilize the wax because mice are, are absolutely terrible for the hive. They uh, poop and pee everywhere and the bees don't want to even live there anymore. So if you can... Um, Instead of a round hole, what some people do is make a very thin 3 8 high slit in the bee gum. And that allows for bees to go in and to have a larger area to go in. And then you just block off some of that area as, as it gets colder so that you have a, a smaller entrance. But no bigger than 3 8 if you're doing a, a slit along the the top okay so 
And bee gums, if you're going to have one or two bee gums and you're going to stack them on top of each other, they're going to need uh, a roof. You can't just have a flat roof. So if you've ever looked at the uh, image that I have on Friends of Brother Adam, it's an old man sitting there and he's sitting beside several bee gums. And um, they have kind of like the old... Um, the, the hat from like the Vietnamese peasant hat is kind of like a, a cone shape that goes up to a point. You can make, you can make uh, uh, roofs by weaving branches and uh, pulling um, bark off of, off of green branches and weaving that in amongst other branches um, to uh, make it so that you have a roof that you put over top of it and even if you uh, even if you put flat um, um, sticks across the top and you make sure there's no way to, for for water to get in, you still need this conical roof and set it over top so that any water that falls on it kind of just goes off to the sides and away from the hive. And you want the the drip um, the drip area so that that would be the distance it comes off of the bee gum you want that to be um, about two to three inches away from the hive so that it falls on it and goes out to the side and drips down off of the hive so it's not going down the side of the hive or anything like that so now we've got the top we've got the the bee gum and we're now going to be looking at um, a bottom. We're going to construct a bottom um, because you, you never know if you're going to burn all the way through your bee gum to the bottom or whether you're just going to set something down and put your bee gum on top of it. So uh, traditionally what people did in the past is they um, made bricks out of clay because you have your, your drip area out past your your clay bricks underneath. You don't have to fire them at all. You just sun uh, bake them and uh, you, you sun bake your bricks. You make your bricks out of uh, clay that you dig out of the ground, make them into a brick shape, um, set them out on, on logs and let them, let them cure in the sun. And then you take them and set them underneath the hive. And that raises the hive up so that it's not down in, in whatever a puddle that is underneath and uh, it allows you to have it up in the air. The other thing you can do is collect a, a bunch of rocks and if you can find a flat rock you can put that underneath the bee gum or several rocks and uh, kind of make uh, supports underneath the bee gum. The important thing is to make it um, stable and the other thing is um, when the ground gets wet you don't want this heavy heavy bee gum hive pushing the rocks into the ground and then tipping. <laughs> Not a good thing. So if you're going to use several different rocks to kind of hold it up as legs, you'll want to uh, dig down a little ways, make a gravel area, put your rocks in, fill it up, gravel around it so it supports the, 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 the legs, put your bee gum on it, go up and step on top of it and give it a good jump or two to see if it's going to sink at all. Okay, so that's more or less what you want to do. And now comes the hard part. We're going to make the bee gum. Um, bee gums are traditionally burnt out and carved out. 
Um, we're assuming that the only thing we managed to bring with us was a knife. So um, we're going to be utilizing fire on the bee gums. So you take your knife and you draw out the shape around your um, around your uh, frames, around your, your bars, your top bars. You take your knife and kind of slit around the outside of that and make it so that it's more or less fairly um, um, exact. Uh, you're going to allow maybe a, a 3-8 space on, on either side. And uh, you might want to put maybe a, um, I don't know, a small space, like a one-eighth space in between every one of your sticks. Um, that allows a little bit of ventilation to get down into it. Um, but you don't want too much space in between your top bars. Just mostly loose fitting so that if you were to grab one, you could move it over slightly and be able to wiggle it a little bit and then pick it straight up. Um, so you, you draw your line on there and then you get your coal and you you take a coal out of the fire and you set it on your, your bee gum and um, you're going to need to find yourself some um, something thin to wave in front of it to, to make it smolder and burn a little bit quicker. Um, and then you're going to want to also maybe get some kindling. And the idea is you're going to want to start a small little fire on top of your bee gum. And you're going to want to either get a, a reed and blow through it on your, your area that you're burning. Or you're going to want to get something to fan the flames a little bit in the area that you want it to burn. And literally this is going to take days, boys and girls. <laughs> Um, but this is a good process. It's, it, it helps you learn a little bit more about um, beekeeping because as you are doing it, um, you are going to be whittling down area like you'll, you'll get it charred. You'll, you'll burn it for about an hour or two. And then with some sticks, you'll go and pick up the big, huge uh, chars or the, the coals that you have and, and kind of sweep it off. And then you're going to take a look at what's been burned. You're going to take your knife and scratch it away and put some coals back. And, and, and that's how you maintain the area that you're burning. You don't want it to burn over into the area that you don't want burnt. Um, but you just maintain it that way. And you scratch off the stuff you want to, to take off. And you just burn, burn, burn all the way down. Um, you're going to want to burn into the sides um, where your... your uh, uh, where your uh, top bars are going to lay, you're going to want to remember to have about an inch in. Um, you're going to have to do an uh, inch wide on either side um, ledge so that you can set your top bars on top. And then once you get the top bar ledges burnt down and they're even and level with the top of the bee gum, um, the top bars, so the top of the top bar is level with the bee gum. Once you get that, then um, you're going to want to limit the amount of burning that you're doing closer in. Oh, looks like my uh, <laughs> my other area gave out on me. My uh, Odyssey area gave out on me. So I'm gonna just finish up my thought here 
and uh, we'll put some of the rest of the stuff in in the next podcast. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna limit the amount of area that you're you're burning in there, and you're gonna burn down all the way down until you get round about uh, two or three inches from the bottom, and then you're gonna stop. You're not gonna scrape off all the char from the sides. That the char is actually good for the bees. The bees will go in and they like the rough texture, and they'll go in and they'll propolize over top of it. Um, because it's charred, that also means that it is uh, sanitary for the bees and they like it. Um, and that they'll propolize over top of it. They'll take um, um, nectar from uh, the sap of, of uh, conifers and they'll take it, mix it with their spit and coat the inside of their hive with it. And that's what uh, propolis is. Um, it has some bacterial antibacterial function but but it when they mix it with their saliva and put it on their wall it it uh, makes an envelope that is healthy for the bees so that's more or less a bee gum you'll have the bottom that lifts it up a little bit you'll have the bee gum log that you've uh, burnt down you'll have the ledges that you set your um, uh, top bars on you'll have the top bars that have a, a kind of a point down on the bottom of them, all the way from one side to the other side. Um, you'll have the ability to stack other bars crossways a different way. And then um, I would put your conical top on top of that. And uh, you gotta make sure that you have either a slit, a 3 8 slit, or a hole that's slightly bigger than 3 8 uh, close to the top. And that's your bee gum. <laughs> Uh, that's a fairly easy way of going about making the hive that you're going to be utilizing. Um, because it's a top bar, that makes it removable. So you're able to take it out, take a look at what's going on inside the hive. And if you notice that they have some capped honey in, in the outside frames, you're able to take that out, cut off the capped honey, put it back in, and, uh, and allow them to start refilling that uh, comb again so that's a great way if you build it they will come and we'll talk to you again thank you for stopping by friends of brother adam my name is dennis and if you uh, like this podcast make sure you like and subscribe um, make sure if there is a star rating there that you give me a five star it helps uh, other people find this uh, podcast and if you are listening on odyssey i appreciate it uh, make sure that you uh, keep listening on Odyssey. Every listen that I get gives me a few uh, micro credits. And uh, also, um, if you look on the uh, opening um, picture of this podcast, you'll notice that I have a, a Bitcoin uh, barcode that you can uh, scan and donate Bitcoin as well. I really appreciate all of your donations that you guys send my way. It helps me so that I can... Uh, continue doing what I'm doing here. Anyways, we'll continue on with different types of uh, beehives in a after the Z-Day <laughs> type uh, format, and we'll see you soon.